Hey friends, it's me, Tangia Renee with That's What She Did Podcast, and I am excited to introduce you to our episode sponsor, History Colorado. I love a great museum, and History Colorado is one of my favorites. At eight museums across Colorado, including the Center for Colorado Women's History in Denver, the team at History Colorado wants you to discover a personal and powerful connection. Plus, their incredible Bold Women Change History series is coming back this fall of 2021. Their members support local artists and designers, after-school programs for working families, and educators working with at-risk youth. Find your history at historycolorado.org. Hey there, Inspiration Junkies. It's me, Tangia Renee. And before we get to the show, I'm going to quickly ask for a favor. If you're a fan of the show, we could really use your support. We have the big goal of building resources that will help more women of color and non-binary people amplify their work and leverage the power of their stories through guest blogging and blogging and storytelling and PR training. We need to do two simple things to make that happen. Continue to grow our audience so we can get more stories into more ears and fund a new website that makes blogging, blogging, and training possible and easy. Now, there's two simple ways that you can help us out right now and help make that happen. First, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually do go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile and leave us a written review, they help even more. The second thing you can do is go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tangia Renee and simply buy the show a coffee. It's that simple. All proceeds from Buy Me A Coffee go towards amplifying the voices of more brilliant women. Really simple, easy peasy, just the way I like it. Leave us a review and consider buying us a coffee. Thanks so much for your support and for continuing to share our work. Smooches! You're listening to That's What She Did Podcast. I'm your host, Tangia Renee. That's What She Did Podcast is a show about the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you probably don't already know. And I'm crazy excited to have you here because this is season seven the Movement Makers Edition. All season long, we're bringing you incredible, impactful women who are finding cool and innovative ways to move their communities forward. They're creating movements one way or another. I'm so excited to have you here. If you find value here, please consider sharing this show with your friends because that helps us grow. And head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Renee, and you can buy the show a coffee. All proceeds for this show go to amplifying the voices of more impactful women. Thank you for joining us and let's get started. Hello again, friends. I am thrilled to introduce you to our next guest, Bree Davies. Bree is a multimedia journalist and arts community advocate, born and raised in Denver. Rooted in the world of do-it-yourself arts and music, Davies co-founded and produced several music and arts festivals and has toured the country with various bands. Parallel to a decade-long practice in arts and organizing, Davies has also cultivated a career as a reporter, 
writer, producer, and host. She's currently the first ever host of the daily news podcast, City Cast Denver, which launched in March 2021. Brie has an extensive background in arts, entertainment, journalism, and advocacy. And today, we have a much needed conversation around changing communities, the role journalists play in telling important community stories, and what happens when a lot of money gets injected into a city, but only in specific places. Well, it's exactly the kind of thing that might make a community rise up and, I don't know, build a movement. This was a fun conversation to have, and I'm excited for you all to give it a listen. I'd love to hear what you think, if you have opinions, if you have thoughts, if you have comments. Head over to the website, that's what she did podcast.com, or hit me up on the socials, that's what she did podcast. Let me know what you think. Welcome back, everyone, to season seven of That's What She Did podcast, the Movement Makers season. And my listeners, welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking with me for a whole seven seasons. If you're new here, welcome. We love you. You should know that this is a Denver-based podcast. I was born and raised in Denver. So I make it a point that every season, we always have local women who are innovators, leaders, and rebels on this show. And I am happy to introduce you to one such leader, one such rebel, one such innovator, Bree Davies with CityCast podcast, a brand new podcast coming on the scene. We're going to talk about that before we get there, though. I just want to take a second to welcome Bree and give her a chance to talk about what Denver things. We're going to talk about Denver things, but I promise they have a bigger impact. So stick around. We're going to have a good time. Welcome to the show, Brie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was quite an an intro. I'm honored to be on this um, season for sure. So thank you. Definitely my pleasure. I love, love, love anytime I have an opportunity to amplify the work of, of some of our local BFFs and say, hey, look at what they're doing. So I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I love that you said, even if you're outside, if you're outside of Denver, this conversation is still relevant. And I promise that too. I think I talk a lot about just being engaged in the place that you are. So I hope that that translates to other places too. I think it definitely does. Denver is an interesting city in an interesting stage of its lifespan. I don't know what else to call it. I mean, <laughs> I know <laughs> we're, we're like we're, a growing teenager. I don't know. I'm also born and raised Denver. Yes. And <laughs> sometimes I just have to remind people, I'm like, we're not, I mean, as a colonized place, we're not that old. Right. So. It's pretty young. It's been in our adulthood, like you and I, mostly that Denver has really changed very rapidly. Yes. Um, Denver was a very different city when we were kids. Completely. And it seems like it goes through this state of change. Like every five years or so, it's a different city. Like it's just so different. So yeah. we're going to talk about all of the things. So we're, you know, we're going to touch on like gentrification. We're going to touch on all of these different concepts and how one person, Brie being that one person in this case, <laughs> just one person is working to find, finding different and, and creative ways, specifically creative ways 
to try to hold on to the identity of a city? How do you do that? Yes. How do you keep the people who were here engaged and at the forefront of things, I think is the big question. What's the underlying issue with gentrification? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll get there. But yes, we're talking about Denver issues, but these are issues that you're going to see across many different cities in the United States and I'm sure elsewhere. So don't miss out. So Brie, why don't you give us the overview? You are involved in so many different things. (laughs) I know when I have to sum up what I do, I'm like, I'm the guy that's always had five jobs. So (laughs) I, I don't want to attempt to list them because I'm not going to be able to. So why don't you just give us a quick overview of who you are right now and what you're doing now and some of the things that you're working on. Sure. So I'm currently the host of CityCast Denver. It's a brand new daily news podcast that hopes to sort of take a perspective on the news and issues in Denver that is really accessible to our listeners. So the way I say it is whether you've been here for six weeks or six generations, our show brings something to you that makes you proud or interested or curious about Denver. And so this is a new endeavor for me, the daily podcast um, situation. I've never done daily news before. I'm a journalist by trade and nature. I grew up as a writer, writing for my school newspaper, writing for zines in college, eventually writing for the Denver Post used to have a music blog called Reverb. I started in arts and culture writing. That's just where I've always found my voice is always rooted in the arts community here in Denver because it's the community that I grew up in. I really found my voice through writing for Westward. They gave me the open space to have a column and write about whatever I wanted. And that was in the 2010s. I had a column called Reality Bites and it started out as sort of just a confessional column about my life. And it evolved into this conversation about the city because I was writing about what I was seeing and experiencing as a Denverite. Again, like you said, growing up here, how things are different and how they've changed so much. Conversations about gentrification, displacement, just what happens when money gets injected into your city, but only into specific areas and impacts specific people. So from that, I sort of gained a following, I think, of readers who were feeling that same way, or they were new to the city and were like, I want to get a feel for what's going on here. How do I become more involved and not be that guy? You know, how do I be the person in the city that's part of a positive movement for this change that's happening? How do we involve ourselves in a way? And that was the readership that I sort of gained. And through that, I eventually decided to start a podcast myself called Hello Denver, Are You Still There? Because I found that the conversations that we were having online, where most of our conversations happen these days, was we can be very calculated online and we can be impersonal when we're talking to each other online. But what I saw online and talking about Denver was people really wanted to talk about it. They wanted to talk about their city. They wanted to talk about their experience. And so I wanted to bring that into a personal in-person forum. And Hello Denver, Are You Still There? was a live podcast that happened monthly at Mutiny Information Cafe, which is this wonderful bookstore artist space and just general magnet for all kinds of people in Denver to come and have conversations about things like houselessness, food insecurity, mental health and policing, and then things that even more tangible things like how do I get involved with my city government? 
how do I fill out a ballot and feel confident in it? And these were conversations that I was able to have in person with people in the community and people that I saw as experts that maybe other people didn't know were experts yet. So my greatest example of like the community rooted expert is someone who, if we're going to talk about public transit, I don't want to talk to the head of RTD. I want to talk to a bus rider. I want to talk to somebody that knows the ins and outs of riding the bus every day. That's a transit expert to me. And we were able to have conversations like that in person. And I had a fantastic response from it. Lots of people showed up. They just wanted to hear from people in the community. And so that is eventually what led me to where I am today, which is hosting this new podcast, this daily podcast. And I went from a very DIY, very do-it-yourself It was me, Mutiny Information, the guys at Mutiny Information Cafe recording it for me, throwing that unedited stuff up onto the internet and hoping that people listen to it. And now I'm part of this team of reporters who puts together a show every day in a concise 15-minute package that gives listeners like, here's some headlines, and then here's a deeper conversation with someone in the community. So that's what I do every day now is host this show where we talk about Denver news and Denver experiences. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, I have not listened to CityCast yet, but That's you, okay. you're brand new. <laughs> you're, and you're busy. I know. <laughs> but I, I know will. that feeling. I will. And I was excited to learn that that Denver was getting a, a city or a daily a podcast because we haven't had one. There's only, there's been, well, there's NPR. Like, right. Call out of public radio. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and they fill, yeah, they fill a certain need. And I think we we're hoping to pull from all these different news sources because we're not a full on newsroom like CPR is. So they have the reporters to do that work. We're hoping to pull in and say, Hey, what is CPR working on that we could showcase? Like, Hey, they're working on a story about this art installation or this legislation or whatever. So we're trying to like work with existing news outlets to fill that little, that gap, that daily news gap. Here's 15 minutes of things you should know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I will definitely check it out as soon as I can. I'm sorry I haven't. No, no worries. I totally understand. Our lives are very busy. (laughs) Of course. So, well, before you got to CityCast, you were very much in creative spaces, even as a journalist, right? Yeah. As a writer, journalist, you had the column that turned into Denver things, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way. In all the time that you did that that style of writing and that level of engaging, what do you think are the biggest takeaways that you've had? People in Denver, and, and I speak about Denver because it's what I know, want to make the city a better place for themselves and for everyone. I heard that over and over again. How do I get involved? How? What is my role as a person in the world? when it comes to an issue like houselessness and people experiencing homelessness, I'm a, I get, people would reach out to me all the time. I'm a housed person. I want to help people experiencing homelessness. I don't know how to do that. What can I do? I'm a person that's new to the city and I hear there's a great art scene, but I don't really know how to tap into it or I don't feel welcome what's the best avenue for me to get involved in the arts community if I'm a new person here? I want to learn more about our history, but I don't know where to start. I just heard from people over and over again that they really like this place or they're from here and they want to defend it and really care about it and be involved in it in a deeper way. 
And I just happened to be a voice that was talking about issues and things that, and, and I always present, I try to present myself as approachable as possible to say, if you have a question like that, like, feel free to ask me. That's the job that I've created for myself is just to be the big answer person. You know what? I don't know the answer to that, but let me tap into that. I don't know who in your specific neighborhood is working on that issue, but let me do a little bit of digging. Or here's a resource that I've used. Like council people are way more accessible than people realize. They have a lot of stuff on their plates, but they want to hear from their constituency. So how do I make that connection for somebody who's never involved them, who's never voted in a city council election before? Like, how do I get them interested enough to say, oh, not only do I want to vote in this election, I want to volunteer for a campaign in this election. So that was just the thing that I I really took away from, it came initially out of my column, was just people are curious and they care and they really want Denver to be an awesome place. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I think that, I think we need to talk about media for a second. Sure. <laughs> so. Your media, technically, I guess I'm media. <laughs> you are. You're, you're part of the media landscape, 100%. And when I hear you talking about some of those takeaways that you learn from interacting directly with other Denverites, yes, it's true that city council is ex- as, as more accessible to people than they believe. But there's still a disconnect. Right. And I, this isn't just a Denver issue. This is like in every city I've ever been to, every city I've ever spent time in, is you hear people saying the same things. We can't access these people. They don't listen to us. The media doesn't care. They only tell mm-hmm. the stories that they want to tell. They portray us. When I say us, I'm more specifically talking about communities of color, marginalized communities, for sure. Um, people who are in the middle of experiencing homelessness, they only want to tell the conflict stories. And I think this is one of the threads that has to be pulled in order to create any sort of intentional, lasting change, whether it be Denver or anywhere else. There's multiple threads. Yes, you need to create accessibility to decision makers like your council members, your senators, your representatives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the threads that needs to be pulled is this thread about around media, mm. where who's telling the stories, right? What stories are they telling, and why? What is the intention? And that whole conversation just made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, and I hear you. I see. I also see the trepidation that a lot of communities and people have who have been misrepresented by media to even talk to media when something is going on. I found that like, I can only speak from my personal experience, but as a white person involved in the arts community really deeply, when the ghost ship fire happened in Oakland a couple years ago, the response from cities across the country was to evict artists nationwide from these artist spaces. And I bring this up because I was watching it happen in real time. I watched my friends get kicked out of their warehouse where they lived. 11 people were rendered homeless on winter, one of the coldest winter nights, and were given vouchers for maybe finding housing somewhere. But the issue that I saw happen was then because I was a vocal presence on social media, news outlets were reaching out to me 
I want to talk to artists. I want, we need to hear from them directly. Nobody wanted to talk to the press. Nobody wanted to talk to the media because the way they had been represented before was maybe not so not so true to who they were in their experience. And so I totally and completely understand where that disconnect can be and why communities too don't want to interact with the press a lot of times. I think we saw that we're seeing a little bit of a change, especially with the protests around George Floyd. There's more of an I've noticed from national journalists, especially just a a willingness to say, there is no way to not be biased about this situation. We have to stop acting like we can't be biased because we're human beings. Of course, we're biased in this situation, but this is an ongoing conversation um, in newsrooms all over right now, especially when we look at the George Floyd trial. Why do news outlets tend to take police as the number one source? And take whatever the police say versus what the community is over here saying, no, 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 no. We watched this happen and this is exactly what happened. So there's a shift in that happening in newsrooms, but I know that it's not fast enough. And I also know part of the issue is newsrooms still don't represent communities. We're seeing that in our own media landscape here in Colorado right now with the Nine News situation where three Latinx reporters came forward and said, all three of us were let go this year from Nine News. And Nine News has not let go of any other reporters since 2018. Mm -hmm. And we happen to be the reporters that A, represent the Latinx community, B, talk about undocumented stories, and C, got pushback for wanting to do that in the first place. So I totally agree. I agree with you 100%. There's this disconnect. And it's going to take a long time to repair And it's valid, I think, that any community person would be wary of the media. Absolutely. Um, I've been actually even talking about this a lot, like before the whole Nine News fallout happened. Well, I guess it's still happening. Yeah, (laughs) right. still seems to be in process. Now we have state legislators involved. so. So for context, for listeners that are outside of Denver, it was, was it early this week or last week that the story broke? I think... I think it was last week. At the end of last week. It was last week. I was like, time is a construct. Yeah, we don't know anymore. (laughs) We're on COVID time still. Um, But in the last five days, we could say, at the time that we are recording this, a journalist or three journalists came forward, essentially wrote a story themselves and said, we are the three Latina women, women from Nine News. We've all been let go none of them really were given valid reasons about why they were let go, but they were constantly getting, I guess, quote unquote, in trouble. Yeah. Or doing like Latina things like for wearing hoop earrings or putting your hair in a bun with red lipstick and being told that you can't, that's not a good look. And okay, whatever. (laughs) Right. You know, wanting to do stories, wanting to call in a story, doing a story about immigration wanting to call the people that they that were subjects of the story undocumented and the station saying, no, you must say illegal and having a, a conflict about that. And they were just eventually, they were just let go without really given full cause as to why. It was sort of like a, you're not a good fit here kind of a thing, right? So that's the context. This is still an ongoing developing story. Recently, I think in the last couple of days, what I don't know if it was Nine News, I can't remember off the top of my head, but a bunch of other journalists came together 
and basically wrote sort of a memo, a manifesto. I don't know what you would call it. Was it is a memo? The um, the one from the state legislators. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was basically. Yeah, it was basically a notice. Like, hey, we reached out to the station manager of Nine News. So it was like some senators, someone from the school board. It was a group of Latina legislators that said, we want to know, then you need to answer to us if you're not going to answer to your own former employees. Like, what is going on? Right. And really making them face, making the station face their shit, essentially. Right. So this is, the the fallout is still happening. We have yet to see. (laughs) What's going to happen with this, if anything, will actually change? My feeling is, is that no, <laughs> that there will know. be, right. know, they'll, they'll, they'll hire their equity inclusion person and be like, right. box checked, right. done. And then in six months, maybe that person will be let go. Yes. And it's this, I mean, we saw this kind of posturing again, right after the protest for, for justice for George Floyd, all of these corporations and all of these media outlets coming out and saying like, we're going to do better. Well, you didn't. Like you, you can say it all you want, but it's just posturing. And I, I think mm-hmm. that these women's stories are a shining example of that. This yes. is what happens when you say, oh, I'm t- we're going to hire Latina reporters, but we're not actually going to support any of the work they do. We're going to push back against everything that they say, and then we're going to let them go when they don't conform to the system that we haven't fixed. Right. So So as somebody who's sort of an insider, a journalist, somebody that knows that world, what what do you see as the path forward? Because this is history repeating itself over and over again. And it's not like a hundred years it's like this happened somewhere last Thursday and right. here we are doing it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it takes, an, I don't know a better word. I, allyship is such a bad buzzword, but it takes, it takes reporters and editors, especially white folks to also stand up and say, okay, if you're going to let, if you're going to let these reporters go, then I'm not going to do my work until you'd actually discuss this. It takes people who are within the comfort of privilege to also speak up and back and make space, get like, get the fuck out of the way. But at the same time, knock on the doors of those higher ups, make this shit uncomfortable and say, we're not going to do what we're supposed to be doing until you address exactly what's going on here. Because you can talk about changing newsrooms all you want, like diversifying newsrooms. It's such a buzzword thing to say, but if you're not changing the system around the newsroom, you can plug in whoever you want and they're eventually going to get burned out, shut out, shut down, fired because they don't conform to this notion of what has been predominantly white, predominantly male dominated newsrooms for over a hundred years, 150 years, you know? So I think it, it takes newsrooms as a whole and people examining themselves. Like, how did I get here? Someone like me, how did I get here? What can I do to make this? Can I support, how can I support other artists or uh, I'm sorry, other reporters, particularly reporters of color and reporters from quote unquote marginalized communities. I hate that term too, because it puts so much on the community, but Mm -hmm. communities that have been traditionally shut out of these things. How do I become an advocate and a person that says, I'm not standing for this either. This is not the kind of place I want to work. Do you think it's necessary for newsrooms to specifically 
find reporters, journalists, graphic designers, editors, all of the different roles that it takes for news to actually happen from the community that they're reporting on. Oh my God, 100%. I mean, if again, if anybody says there's bias there, then what have we been reading for the last 150 years? The bias of white, mostly white men, white and white women's perspectives on putting on communities. Who is an expert in, who is a better expert of a community than somebody that came directly from that community? Nobody can speak to a community's experience like community members themselves. And that's a perspective that I personally want to read and see. I don't want to hear an outsider perspective. I've read that. I grew up in that kind of journalism and it's not, it's shaped how a lot of, you know, it's like just continuing the same cycle when, what do we get from that? Nothing. Mm-hmm. We get the same narratives, like you're saying, about community, about people. When we talk about people, we're not talking to people or with people or hearing from people. So yeah, absolutely. hundred percent people need to, the reporters and everybody in the newsroom, like you're saying, creative directors, people that do digital, everybody needs that. That's where the diversity and variety has to come from. It's like, we can't just keep pulling from these same journalism like schools or, you know, cause that's the other thing. I know a ton of journalists that didn't go to journalism school who are wonderful at what they do because they know how to write and they know how to talk about what they see. And they know how to connect with people. That's and people the trust them. Yes. Right. Communities. The trust is a huge part. You're not going to hear from a community if they don't trust the reporter that's on their beat, you know? Right. I mean, this is one of the big problems that I see in Denver, but again, it's not just a Denver issue. This is happening. This is everywhere that gentrification is yes. occurring, right? In Denver, <laughs> so here's a story. <laughs> so pre-COVID, this is probably a year and a half ago now, probably about six months before COVID happened. Of course, nobody knew that this was going to happen, right? Right. And I and, an, and another Denver-based sort of prominent podcaster got invited to this media conversation. It was the Knight Foundation was hosting it because they wanted to talk about diversity in media. You probably know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I and this other woman podcaster, she's a, a, a Black woman, get invited like to a day or two before <sighs> it happens. And we're like, and I'm like, why are you inviting me now? And And the uh-huh. person inviting me, said straight up she just told me straight up she said I, you i wouldn't do this to you but this person this prominent news media person from denver called me and they are freaking out because the knight foundation is hosting this entire event and their executives are coming and they can't find enough people of color to fill the room so can you be our token person? So she said, they are asking me to find people to tokenize. And she said, oh. and I know you and I'm not going to BS you. Mm-hmm. And that's the deal. And if you tell me no, I'm not going to be mad. And I'm going to go tell them exactly what you tell me to tell them. <laughs> you know, it was a whole yeah. thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm curious. I want to go to that. So I went and this other, this other woman came with me. And it, there was maybe 50 people, 75 people in the room, all of them journalists, like mm-hmm. more traditional journalism, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, <laughs> why are we the only two people of color in the room except for the other people that work for the Knight Foundation? Uh-huh. <laughs> right? so we're like literally the only ones. There may have been like one outlier somewhere. And I'm talking to these journalists and I'm asking them where they're from. And I asked 10 people and 10 of them were not from Colorado at all. They were from Ohio. They were from... Interesting. Yeah, I was... Iowa was another big one. Utah. They were just from other places. Yeah. And I'm going like, how are you telling local stories like about a place that you don't really know that well? And they all had been here under 10 years. It's one of those interesting things with media that I see all the time. Like I remember I was actually... I was told by a public, a large publication here at one point in my career, okay, we're going to make a position for you. Like we're going to actually create a position for you. And I was like, cool. I've not really ever worked in media full-time. Three weeks later, oh, actually we hired this 22-year-old white guy from Kansas to do it because whatever. And it's unfortunately not um, uncommon that reporters come from outside of the place where they are reporting. I mean, that's totally an old school journalism thing. I think to have people from all over just come in and sort of parachute into communities. And I know a lot of folks that have been here for a while that work really hard to align themselves and understand the communities they're serving or with their reporting, but it doesn't change the fact that we're still not hearing from journalists who grew up, especially, I mean, let's talk about Denver. Like the neighborhood I grew up in, I know, oh my God, it's so different than the neighborhood that it was 20 years ago. So when people report about my neighborhood, I'm extremely skeptical of how it's positioned, how it's portrayed, how it's I live in, it became what has been called an up and coming neighborhood. It was a predominantly white pseudo suburban, smaller, it's a neighborhood called Virginia village. It's just this little teeny neighborhood, um, right outside of Cherry Creek. But my neighborhood was more diverse when I was a kid, a lot of different incomes, people renting people, you know what I mean? It was like a more, more of a mix of different kinds of families, multi-generational families. And now it's mostly white couples who look like me with zero or one kid in a house that used to house six to eight people. But when the stories are told about my neighborhood, none of that is told. Nobody talks about that. Mm -hmm. And so I can't imagine what that feels like for communities that are being actively gentrified and then reported on. Right. So it's, you know what I mean? So it's not even just that you're experiencing erasure, then the story is not even being told. Right. It makes me think of uh, Five Points, which oh my gosh. people don't even call it what it's, what it's called right. anymore. It's, I know. I'm like, the Rhino is, our district's made up, everyone, it's by the way. made up, by the way. And it consumed half of Five Points. Yes. A predominantly historically Black neighborhood. Yes. Has now been rebranded. By the way, Five Points, for people that don't know, again, people that are outside of, of, of Denver, Five Points is a historically Black neighborhood. It was called the Harlem of the West. Yes. Uh, when it was founded. So lots of prominent, historically significant Black people were here and doing important things and, and, you know, all the way up through the civil rights movement. And then after that is when 
things started to change. People started coming. Yes, disinvestment, yeah. which was a strategy. hundred percent. It wasn't like. <laughs> no, that was a city. It was a city right. and developer strategy. It was a developer strategy. And now Five Points, a, a community that I know and love, although it did go through a very difficult time in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um is gentrified pretty much. There's a few vestiges of the past, but it's a completely different neighborhood and people show up there now and they pay a million dollars for a house that, you know, 30 years ago, an entire working class family lived there. And they think when they show up here or they tell themselves that this is the way this neighborhood has always been and it hasn't. Oh my God. No, it was the heart of black business. I mean, it was the heart of black commerce. It was, but again, it had disinvestment redlining led to, you know, this is why we have where our communities have ended up being a lot of times is we're Denver's. That's the thing is people, I think outside of Denver too, don't realize like we're a very segregated city. And a lot of that is by design. Yes. Um, That's urban planning. That's city planning. That's, I mean, I watched it happen with the quote unquote Rhino art district where the warehouses that my friends lived nobody would go down there. And then those plots are selling for millions of dollars and becoming, you know, a sushi restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes I drive down Brighton Boulevard and I'm like, what in the, what is that? that?" I'm like, oh, they finally got a grocery store, except for the neighboring neighborhood still doesn't have a grocery store. Yeah, it's it's true. You know, Five Points itself doesn't have its own grocery store, right? Right. And it's been one of the most like rooted neighborhoods in our city. And it has not had its own grocery stores. It had markets once upon a time before like the big box supermarket took over for everything. But that's what communities do when they take care of themselves because the city's not investing in them. Right. You know, It's like Five Points for me is like a, it's a knife in the heart. Every time I drive through there and I'm like, there's a sushi rama, great. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, I couldn't get you couldn't see a white person walking down this block. Like my I have a really good friend who grew up in Five Points in City Park, and she's in her she's a black woman in her 60s. And she always says to me, if you saw a white man walking through five points, they were looking for somebody. And if you saw a white woman walking through five points, something was wrong. Yeah. Like Somebody was missing somebody or somebody was not supposed to be out here. And I was like, it couldn't be a bigger contrast now to where you see what I call (laughs) reckless whiteness, like (laughs) everywhere, (laughs) you know, like, where do you, I go to yoga on the river on I'm like, what? (laughs) I'd like to introduce you to one of my favorite places on the internet. The Free Body Society, an online apparel store that creates empowering t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, and accessories to inspire women to be bold and embrace their bodies, no matter their size. The Free Body Society is on a mission to ensure all women feel powerful and free in their bodies. From the perfect breathable tank for your next workout to a cozy crop top hoodie for those days when you want to make a statement or simply lounge it out, the Free Body Society has you covered. Personally, the super soft hoodies are my favorite. In fact, I'm wearing my curvy AF hoodie right now. I've never felt anything softer on my skin. Anytime I wear it out, I get a ton of compliments. 
and I love wearing the hoodies to the gym or out running errands because they just make a statement and draw people in. Any of the tops can be dressed up with a cute full skirt, jeans, and a blazer, or just throw on a tank and be workout ready. The options are endless. For being a listener of the That's What She Did podcast, you get 15% off your first purchase, plus free shipping on any order over $35. All you have to do is use code SHEDID at checkout, and the discounts are all yours. That's code SHEDID at checkout. Don't forget to head over to freebodysociety.com today and hit that discount code. Smooches! There was the thing that blew my mind is one day my husband and I, again, pre-COVID, when we right. were just like breathing air freely. Living out in the world. With our bare faces Maskless. hanging out. <laughs> what a time. Being nasty with our germs all over the place. All over. Yeah. We rented the scooters and we're just kind of driving around and because there's a, a really good soul food place down in Five Points. So we went to like go get some catfish. And we were coming up the street and I look over and there's like a float tank place. And I was like, what the hell is a float tank? And so we went in there and it was just like weirdness to me. We tried it. And just <laughs> as a sidebar, float tanks are not for me. <laughs> but it was just like, what is this doing in my neighborhood? This thing? <laughs> like, this is the, the neighborhood that like we used to come to because I grew up in Montbello, not in Five Points. Um, to get like really good soul food, but I was never allowed to go there by myself because in the nineties, it was, you know, when I was in high school, it was dangerous. There was, there was, you know, you know, a crack happened in Denver as well. And so there were some problems, but great food. And it was always a blast to come down to five points because it was, it's a very walkable neighborhood. So everybody's out walking around doing community, like sitting out on their stoop and talking to each other. And Montbello is not built that way. So it's a a completely different experience. And it's suburban versus urban. Yes. It's just such a juxtaposition to be going down a street where there used to be like houses with people sitting on in their front porch or on their stoop talking to the neighbor across the street and people just kind of freely walking around enjoying the day. And now there's a float tank. And I didn't know what a float tank was. <laughs> well, and now that community that you've talked about has been totally wiped out and yeah. replaced by giant corporate structures without street facing things where people would, in, even if you live on the block, you might live in a building and you don't interact with anybody. Mm-hmm. Like there's no interaction. So that community network of sort of eyes on the street doesn't exist. And that's that's what makes, so they remove the people, remove the culture, remove the rooted like community there, then try to replace it with something, call it community, which is the most frustrating thing to me and try to recreate something that only happens naturally when people are allowed to live in the communities where they want to live. Mm-hmm. And I think like, here's the other unspoken thing about gentrification that nobody ever wants to talk about is that In the beginning, it's impacting the most vulnerable people, the people with the least amount of money, right? Right. But eventually, it's everyone. It's white people, too. Look at San Mm -hmm. Francisco. Like, nobody can afford to live there anymore. No. And then what what kind of a city do you have when it's so unaffordable that no one can live there? 
You have an empty, soulless shithole. You have Silicon Valley is what you have. Right. (laughs) You have really, really rich people wondering why there's no one there to take their coffee order. And it's because no one can live within 30 miles of the city because they can't afford it. Exactly. Like people that make the city work and run are garbage men, are, you know, the coffee cart person, the, the guy. I mean, those people are what make a city work. And when they can't live in the communities that they serve, what do you have? You can't bus everybody in. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. we could have, but you can't, it just kills the whole idea when things are so unaffordable of what makes the city wonderful, you know? And Welton's been a hard thing to watch. It has been. I mean, I think in the end, what people don't realize is that gentrification will come for you too. Yes. It's going to take a little longer. Nobody's immune. Nobody's immune to it, but it will come for you too. And then one day you're going to realize that you can't sell your house. You are trapped in wherever you're living because you will not be able to afford to live somewhere else. Which is such a very Denver situation right now. It is. Even if you want to sell your house and move into something bigger, or if you're expanding your family, or maybe your parents are moving home to live with you, you can't do that because you can't afford to live somewhere else. Yeah. I have a family member right now where they want to downsize. All of their kids have left the house. So they're in this big house, two people, and they're afraid to sell because a smaller house that's more to their sizing, more to their new lifestyle. Yeah. Is unaffordable. Right. <laughs> right. Like my mom just did that same thing. She sold her house of that she had for 40 years. That was her entire equity. And she was lucky. She got to move into a very nice condo, but she moved into a tiny, you know what I mean? Like she moved into a smaller space. She got, she ended up in Wash Park, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy to see what she got for the four bedroom house that she sold and then what you can actually get. But not everybody also not everybody has that opportunity. Or they've sold their house a couple years ago under a situation where they weren't fully like I so I used to have this crusade against those signs we buy ugly houses or we'll buy your house. I every time I see those I tear them down. And then I usually <laughs> call the phone number and I harass the person that has hung them up. And I'm like this is predatory real estate because somebody should be able to sell their house and get the most for their money and have some agency in making that decision. But when I mean, I get letters to my house from developers. Like, do you want to sell your house? That doesn't feel very good that someone's trying to take over your neighborhood. And, but I should be able to do that and have the autonomy and the power to say, this is how much money I want for my house. Not I'm in a dire situation, which is what happens with a lot of folks. I'm in a dire situation. This is my family's home. This is all of our equity. This is everything that we have. And a developer is often offering me what seems like a lot of money, but in reality, it's not enough money for me to buy another house. Mm -hmm. So then where do I end up? And what does that developer do with my house? They scrape it, sell it for you know, they make a $500,000 profit and my family is screwed. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's predatory to me. I think it should be illegal, frankly. And I think it's what happened to a lot of folks in five points early on, especially when the neighborhood was still quote unquote bad Mm -hmm. and people were coming in and saying, but we'll give you this much money for your house. Well, if that's all the, if that's more money than you've ever seen, I wouldn't blame you for taking it either. 
you should be able to have that choice, but mm-hmm. there's so much misinformation out there. And I don't think that all people are empowered to understand real estate. Like it's a complicated, it's a dirty business. It, it is. It's complicated. It's hard. You know, I think this is the one, one, again, bringing back to media, like this is the one of the things that really grinds my gears when we're talking about specifically local stories, local media is those are not the stories that you hear, right? The only stories you hear about like community are either stories of strife and conflict of some kind, or you don't hear them at all. You, you don't hear about the people that are doing great things and right. trying to preserve the community or uplift the community in some way. But when you do hear these stories of conflict or strife, it's not like, let's talk about how redlining has changed the entire face of the city and oh what God. it did in specifically what it did in Five Points and the far northeast of Denver mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the east side. Let's really talk about that conflict. Let's talk yeah. about redlining. Let's really talk about why homelessness has exploded in Denver and why it's a problem. And, and everybody knows we need a solution to it, but why our city isn't doing anything. Like, let's right. talk about that. <laughs> right, right. Like, we can keep talking about the city doing these quote-unquote sweeps of homeless camps, but we're still not talking about the root of the problem, which is where are all these people coming from? Mm-hmm. Well, we used to have affordable, more affordable housing in all parts of the city. Like, and not affordable housing is in like Denver Housing Authority housing, because we've always had public housing as well, but just house housing that was affordable. You could live in Capitol Hill and have, you know, work at a grocery store. You can't do that now. Like, no. good luck. I thought about it. I was a waitress at Chili's when I lived in Capitol Hill and I was going to college at Metro and I could afford to do that. My little sister was looking recently and she's, she's uh, a paramedic. She can't afford to live in Capitol Hill. No. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's not, there's not a lot of affordable options. And also it's like, we push people further and further out and further into the margins. And then we wonder why we have such a visible problem of houseless people because there's nowhere affordable for them to be. And their neighborhoods have been totally whitewashed to where we don't even want to see these people. Mm-hmm. Like we don't want to see the reality. When in, you know, back in the day, there might have been a guy that was like maybe kind of homeless, like crashed between people's houses. He was still part of your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He might have just been the guy on the corners, totally harmless. We had a guy like that in our neighborhood, but at least he had somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. And we we're just we're pushing people out, and it's changing. It's just fundamentally changing how we even interact with each other, which is a yeah. whole other conversation. Yeah. What do you think needs to happen in media to create the kind of community connections that allow for those stories to be found and told? More people in the newsroom representing the communities that they're covering, period. And on top of that, the structural changes within the newsroom. So there needs to be something in place for when there needs to be a conversation like the Nine News conversation If you're forcing people from a community to identify their own community members in a way that's harmful, like 
undocumented versus illegal, that's a structural problem in a newsroom. Right. So that newsroom needs to change fundamentally. What is our process for language? Language changes all the time. Mm-hmm. What is our, we need to have an actual process to say, okay, when we have a question like this, how do we identify people? How do we create a new baseline for that and say, this is our framework for how we talk about the undocumented community. Here are the words we use. Here are the words we don't use, period. This is what everybody uses instead of, no, we're just not going to do that. We're just not going to do that. Because again, you can diversify, quote unquote, diversify your newsroom all you want. But if your systems and the framework are not in place to support these communities that we're covering, and we're still doing it from this one perspective that's predominantly white, it's not changing anything. So that also means that higher-ups need to be people of color. Editors, newspaper publishers, the people with the money, those need to be people from those communities too. How that happens, I don't know exactly because media is a tough space right now where it's one of those things that's been taken over by large corporations like hedge funds and they're looking at a they're looking at a profit margin. And I'm like, good luck getting money yeah. out of journalism. Yeah, like, there's you know, like we need change, fundamental change in the way that newsrooms are even functioning before we can even just say diversify a newsroom. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where. Yeah, that I have a lot of thoughts about this, but we don't have all the time in the world to talk about it. So hopefully, <laughs> we can someday when like we're all vaccinated and we can interact in person again, we can be like, here, so here's everything I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, because I would love to hear. I think it's such a crucial conversation. I know. I have many thoughts about this a lot. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, what can we expect coming up for CityCast? Great question. So we are moving into our daily, we've been doing every other day sort of ramping up, but next week we go Monday through Friday. Expect conversations with people from communities that are directly impacted by issues that you want to hear about. So everything from like air pollution or racist environmental issues related to race and class everything from that to new art installations, to conversations about our Japanese American history here in Denver, our restaurant scene. We're just really trying to cover as many aspects of Denver as possible and make it interesting to to a person who is maybe not as engaged with the news for a variety of reasons. We want to be an accessible place that allows people to feel engaged and involved in their community. And the other things too that we really recommend is if you hear something on the show, or if you you see something in your neighborhood that you're like, what is going on here? Hit us up. Tell us about it. You can go to citycast.fm forward slash Denver, and you can hear our podcast. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can email us there directly, but we really want to be community connected and hear from you directly. And if there's something that's going on in your community that you want to have somebody investigate or you're curious about, I hope that we can be that voice that finds the story and hears from you or hears from who you think is the expert and say, help us understand this. Like what is going on? Mm -hmm. And CityCast is going to be rolling out across several cities, correct? Yes. So Chicago started first. They started about a week before us. So it's just right now it's and Chicago's show is wonderful. Actually, Jacoby Cochran, the host there, has such a warm and engaging presence. And like, he makes me want to go to Chicago. He's a, he's a fascinating dude. And then we were next and they haven't announced where it will be in the future, but we are going to be a network of 
local news podcasts from very from cities um, of varying size. So we're much smaller than Chicago, but mm-hmm. they saw something in Denver that was like worth covering. So they picked us, but maybe I don't it was all next. the gentrification. <laughs> like it was all the hot. There's some hot messes going hot. on over there. <laughs> I know they're like, wow, those people are really. No, I mean, I think about it. You know, growing like you said, growing up here, it was a very different place, and sometimes we have that small town nature about us, where we, we joke about it sometimes. The like a tree falling down will make the news, or like someone yes. drove into the Cherry Creek again, and I'm like, this is news. This is how we do news. Yes, we're not as big as we think we are. So I like to say it's a big little town. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm like, I can go to the grocery store and run into my uncle and my first grade teacher. Yep, and you know what I mean. And I still feel like I'm like, oh yeah, this is Denver. This yes, is Denver. yes. So. I love it. I think the news is important and sometimes we forget how important it is because those are stories that need to be told, but we have to hold the news accountable. So I appreciate that I know at least one person on the inside that is trying to do that and trying to tell stories in an authentic way. So thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. Definitely my pleasure. We'll stay in touch. Make sure you check out CityCast, folks. Go to our show notes for the link. And you heard it here first. Bree wants to hear from you. So if you're Denver and you got a story and you think the news needs to know about it, let her know. Same thing, Chicago. We have many listeners in Chicago. And just keep an eye out for CityCast. See what other cities it's going to be rolling out. Hopefully it'll be rolling out in a city near you soon. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. You know how we do. I love you. Thank you for sharing this show. If you are new here and you haven't subscribed yet, that's what you need to do right now. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on wherever you can leave us a review, we would appreciate that because that's what helps us grow. So thank you so much for all your support, for spending your time with us. We know you could spend it anywhere, but you choose to spend it with us. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Until next time, we out. Bye.